Hi everyone, I'm Tara. Hi, I'm Michelle. Welcome back to our podcast Books and Beyond with Bound season 4 where we speak to some of the finest writers in India to find out what makes them tick. Yes, and we are editors, podcasters and storytellers and through Bound we help you create stories and put them out into the world. I'm super thrilled to speak to our guest today who is multi-talented. She's an actress, a model, a writer, a books editor and a journalist and I just don't know how much more is in store for us. Like I fell in love with her debut short story collection. Are you enjoying? Actually, I would say Mohsin Hamid's blurb convinced me to pick it up, Tara. Yes, our guest today is Meera Sethi. and um, i love how her stories cover contemporary pakistan in a very different way that i've seen pakistan being portrayed before so her characters are urban young millennial pakistanis from different walks of life um and you know it's very rich on character so in this episode i wanted to know how she moved from one character to another with so much finesse Yeah and actually one of my favorite characters from the book was Marianne you know she is an american diplomat who lives a very secretive life in pakistan and and i got to know that meera wrote 30 drafts to get it right so i can't wait to find out you know what did she discover in those drafts yep what is the reality of this marianne yep and uh, but before we speak to meera we have some exciting news for all of our listeners Since we started this podcast and our second podcast the book people and have worked with so many podcast creators we have now realized the power of oral and audio storytelling and now we are going to be creating many more bound originals this includes fiction non-fiction podcasts across categories across genres so if you have an exciting idea if you want to pitch us your idea then there are more details see the link in the show notes I'm hoping that we get some amazing ideas and can create some great originals together. Yes, okay Tara, I can't wait any longer. Let's just dive into the urban young Pakistani society now. Welcome, welcome to Books and Beyond Meera. Thank you. We're very very so excited to be here. We're very very excited to be here today for you to be here today i love the book and i love the cover especially um i love reading books by uh, pakistani authors and in fact some of the books by pakistani authors are my all time favorites um and i wasn't disappointed at all when i read this book so your book focuses um on a very different side of pakistan that we don't see much you know the young urban sort of population and i really like the way that the book focuses on you know how urban pakistanis are going about figuring out their identities um and some of them are you know the themes are quite interesting some of them are living on the edge you know for example um in one of your stories these two childhood best friends marry each other to hide their sexual identity so could you tell us you know what you wanted to portray about pakistan in this book and how this idea of this particular story about the two childhood best friends came to you uh thank you for the kind words about the book and i really loved the fact that you picked up on the fact that the book was uh you know it's a kind of urban contemporary slice of pakistan um i am very interested in identity and i think that though we are told we have an official state narrative 
Uh, my passport says the Islamic Republic of Pakistan and has said so for many decades. I think that the ways in which people live out their lives is between and around the official rules, as in any country, as in any society, as in any microscopic view of life being lived. And so in Pakistan, you just to make a generalization, I think we have three sets of rules. Or let's, shall we, let's think of three sets of rules. We have the abstract rules of the state. Then we have the sort of burdensome imperatives of family and clan and tribe. And in the third tier of rules, we have a young individual like the two characters you mentioned in the story Tomboy. So we have a young individual in the third tier navigating the above mentioned rules with a smartphone in hand, i.e. how am I negotiating my desires in a country that has a very specific standard and kind of understanding of how I should be living and loving. And I think for me, as a woman in the public eye, as an actor, as a writer, I grew up with parents who've always been in the public eye. I think I am very interested in how in a suffocating or in a suffocated environment, we end up performing a public self. And that's sort of also one of the themes of the book is the performance of a public self when things aren't going well. Yeah, and I could um, totally relate, you know, as I was uh, thinking about how we all have rules, right, as you said, in different countries, but it, it's obviously more stringent in some countries. And in Bahrain, you know, we also have these rules, but there are, you know, people live their lives and people do do things that matter to them. So I think people do find their way. And I think that was a very strong theme in your book where characters eventually do follow their voice and do end up doing what they want. The, actually, the very first short story uh, in your book, which is titled Mini Apple, um, it features this American diplomat and there's this very steamy love story between her and a Pakistani TV host. And and I found out that you wrote 30 drafts to actually complete that story. So I wanted to know what was so difficult about, you know, the character Mini Apple? Why was she so difficult to portray? And And what did you discover about her at the end of those 30 drafts? So the 30 drafts was basically a sort of shorthand way of saying more than I can possibly count. You know, there comes a point in an author's life when our Microsoft Word documents are named final one, final two, final three, final four, final five, final 82, a mini apple like 102. And that happened with this story and several others as well, because I am the kind of writer who doesn't think in order to write. So I write so that I can understand what it is that my thought is. And in that process, there is a lot of mystery. You go down a lot of rabbit holes. Um, and that was the fundamental tension in Minneapolis was, who is Javed really? And who is Marianne really? Initially, I had her come to his house. Uh, I'll sort of give this away now. I haven't shared this with anyone before. But initially, I had her come to his house with a very specific reason. And that reason, which was the sort of linchpin of the story, kept coming back because he would ask her about that and say, well, you came to inquire about X and that hasn't really resolved itself. And then I found that she doesn't really need a reason. She can literally just stroll across to his house because she's nursed a crush on him for a while or not. And so when I dropped that and it took me, you know, 10 drafts to drop that one thing I had become very attached to, I thought that my plot needed it. So stuff like that happens, right? Where you're like, no, she has gone to his house for a reason. Why would she just stroll across his house? And then one day after weeks of writing this story, I th thought to myself, well, maybe she's just actually just strolled across his house. That happens in life, right? You don't always need a reason to stroll across someone's house and ring their bell. Um, 
and the rest is actually you know i think character distilled becomes plot certainly for the type of writer i am i am not the kind of writer who certainly not for this book i mean for my novel i may have like a like stuff tacked onto a board and with with like papers tacked onto a board but with this it was all in my mind and um and so i had to get to know my characters and then my characters basically dictated the plot but that takes ages so we read that it took you 5 years to complete the short story collection so you know what was the process like what was your writing routine so again i because i i am a sort of a huge extrovert i love being on set um breezy blessings didn't come directly from my experience but it came from my sort of observed experience of being an actor in pakistan my mother is a member of parliament in the provincial assembly of punjab uh, on our side of the punjab and a life of its own is zb is not my mother but that kind of the power dynamics that that woman engages in or faces or navigates some of that was familiar to me when when i when i sort of saw my mother deciding that she wanted to run for election and this is not to draw sort of autobiographical parallels to sort of here is my biography and this is how the work came to be but it's to say that you know as a writer i have to keep my pores open all the time and so when stuff is happening around me i am like absorbing it i am absorbing everything so much so i said this to someone the other day that sometimes when i'm acting and the camera is on me i'm actually half my mind is observing like how is the director interacting with like the other female lead right now like how is the makeup artist like hovering around the actor like how is the chai boy being treated on set i'm like hyper vigilant and i think my hyper vigilance also comes from all kinds of things which we can get into later but um these stories are 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 you know i think one of the words that's been used to describe them which i've welcomed and have greatly appreciated is that they're alive and that they're al- and they're alive because i think so much of them um have come from my observed experience of being an actor and a writer and a woman and a woman in a kind of religious conservative society and a woman who believes that you know it's not enough to fight you said earlier that um they're all sort of fighting these battles and then they win in the end but the thing that i'm really interested in is you know they're carving out these tiny spaces of freedom for them my characters but are they just for themselves these tiny tiny sort of removed oases that they are carving for themselves or you know are they forever going to be confined to these tiny spaces where the safe spaces that they've managed to carve for themselves or is there going to be a societal change yeah and uh, you know you mentioned that you know you're so observant you like looking at different characters one thing that i i felt you're really good at observing is class especially because or maybe because i'm interested in uh stories that explore class right so um like uh, the kite runner by khalas hosseini or equations by shivani sibbal and we we interviewed her recently and there are so many um stories coming out now of class so the very famous netflix uh, show squid game that also covers class in a unique way so i wanted to know why did you choose to portray class among all the other themes in your collection so i think i'm really interested in the intersection of class and sexuality and power um in are you enjoying the power dynamic is reversed it is the woman fetishizing the man she wields the power in it although in the end something quite unusual happens um i am interested in sexuality as as you noted in tomboy these two people are sort of living living out a lie until they decide to confront what's going on and i think that you know in cl- class in particular 
is fascinating because um, class offers you a lot of protection in Pakistan, as you saw in the story A Life of Its Own, which is about the matriarch uh, who tries to defend her brother and in general has a lot of class protection because of a landed feudal background. Uh, so in Pakistan, because we have things like blasphemy laws and because we, we are a nation state that has, has, has affixed a religion to our identity, class does not protect you from religious violence. Class does not protect you from sort of vigilante violence. And although I don't really go there, in A Man for His Time, I'm kind of exploring a little bit the crisis of masculinity this guy is having. Um, so, so I'm interested in, in, in class in these ways. I really liked that intersection of class and sexuality that came out really well in the book. I also read that your parents have a publishing house, which is sort of, it's sort of like a dream. I always dreamt that my parents would have a publishing house. And you've spoken about how your father was a bookseller first. So can you please tell us more about your relationship with him and growing up in this atmosphere and, and how that has shaped your writing? Yeah, thank you for asking that. No one's asked me that before. Um, you know, he had this bookshop called Vanguard Books um, when I was you know, a young girl, and it was on Mall Road in Lahore, and I would, it had sort of rickety floor, and when you stepped on the floor, it would, you would sort of always sort of go up and down, because of teda satha, and I would go there after school sometimes, and browse books, and the books were musty, and kind of, there was a curling red carpet, I have such vivid memories of, of Vanguard, and the books were mostly sort of, uh, you know, politics, and sort of social anthropology, and a little bit of IT, this was like, the early 90s. So IT was like a new booming sector. And so I always, you know, my parents, I've always grew up seeing them read. They, they also started a newspaper together called the Friday Times. And so there was always an atmosphere of reading, writing and discussing at home. Intense discussions. My parents very rarely asked me how I was doing. They very rarely asked me about school. Uh, they very rarely asked me about my internal life. But I always saw them, and which is surprising given that they were that they are readers and sort of thinkers, but they were so busy. I grew up with chronically busy parents, um, but I always saw them reading. So at night I saw my mother with, you know, one arm lying in the bed, holding a book with one arm. And my dad obviously ran this bookstore. So it was, um, it was a really, really like interesting, interesting atmosphere to grow up in. Oh, wow, that is, that's like a dream world. Um, you know, I could never imagine that because I, you know, did not have readers and writers and I like, you know, I always had this dream that I would build uh, my own library at home or, you know, I would have my own book cafe. And you've been a books editor before uh, moving to Pakistan. And I read that you used to write op-eds, but after some time, it really bored you because, you know, the, when you write an op-ed, you are forced to create an argument and that you found uh, fiction really liberating. So can you tell us about one story in your collection, you know, where you've used that creative freedom that you couldn't have used in nonfiction? Oh, I think, are you enjoying for sure the title story? Um, it's almost a novella. And I just kind of wrote it and wrote it and wrote it. And I, there are a lot of set scenes. There is a lot of sort of comic intimacy. There's a lot of real intimacy. Um, and I think, again, because that story is about obsession, sexual fixation and class um, and the texture of the class that I'm showing, right, with Asher being kind of middle class and Sony being nouveau riche, um, a lot of that has come through in dialogue in the way that Asher woos her and the way that he talks to her when he says that, you know, you know, being with you, he points to a sweeper on the road and he says, being with you, me being with you is like that man getting a visa to America. Now, I don't know if you heard that in that particular tone when you read it, 
but I did say that he used to call her Diana. And I wrote that, you know, this is how he sort of pronounced it. That stuff is just lost to nonfiction. I think uh, nonfiction adheres so closely to clarity, to argument, to, to clar- clarity above all, that it's just, it's not well-suited. That mood is not well-suited to fiction. So much of fiction is about sort of this delicious kind of ambivalence and ambiguity. Um, and again, like the, 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 the way that that class dynamic plays out between Usher and Sony, I could never have captured in an essay. Like, I don't think I could have captured the texture of, of the funniness of their interactions in an essay. Yeah, there's definitely something that fiction does that you just can't do in nonfiction. And I really liked your voice modulation in that. And that reminded me of, you know, uh, your dual interest in acting. You act in serials. And it was very interesting for me to find out that your brother also has a dual talent. He writes and he sings. So I want to know what kind of relationship uh, both of you share when it comes to writing and critiquing each other's works. It's a very fertile and fruitful and kind of caustic and space. Um, Ali, I don't know much about music or the technicalities of music, so I can't, I don't really advise him on that. But of course, so much of this stuff is just pure old taste, right? So if I'll hear a song, I'll be like, yeah, Please I'll say things like that. And he, um, he read some of these stories in the early drafts and gave me very, very good advice. He was very good in particular with endings and said, you, you know, you, you tend to sort of, you don't give any kind of closure and you have to earn an ending. And so you need to work on your endings. And even now, I think a lot of people have said that I've kind of write anti-epiphanies. Um, so yeah, we help each other a lot. We're both really interested in writing. He wrote a novel many, many years ago, um, which also had a lot of strong matriarchs. <laughs> um, and, and it's great fun because I think that not only, not only is he my creative collaborator, I was also sort of acted in one of his music videos, Jan Kitha and Kithanen Najori, but also, you know, it's a form of allyship. Um, I think in a country like Pakistan, not a lot of brothers and sisters are necessarily allies. Ali and I have a lot of the same views on, on the themes that my book is touching upon, like class, like sexuality, like progressive politics. Um, and so it's, 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 it's fun. It's fun to have him share that with me. <laughs> wow. I wish I had such a relationship with my brother. I can't even imagine because he's, you know, nine years younger and a whole different world apart um, from me. Uh, you're so talking about different worlds, uh, Mira. One character from your book was really, really different. Um, Hafiz, right? The young Pakistani boy who has extreme uh, religious views. And I couldn't wrap around my head as to, you know, how authentic he sounded and obviously how different he is from you um, as a person. Uh, so what did you actually do to be able to make him so realistic? Gosh, um, Michelle, I spent a lot of time on this story as well. So... I just, you know, I, I think I, because I act, I come across a lot of different people and I read the news. And I think if you keep a close eye on the news, you hear a lot of stories about campus politics. Uh, and so I was very, very interested in this. Things like, I'll give you guys an example. So about six months ago, there's a, there was a couple at the Lahore University and either the boy proposed to the girl or the girl proposed to the boy and they sub- on campus and they subsequently hugged. And the university expelled both of them and said that you are violating our code of conduct. And this is sort of besharmi, vulgarity. And that kind of stuff happens all the time. Two weeks ago, a very prominent university banned jeans on campus, right? In fact, I think even in 
there's a mention of something like that happening in a life in a man for his time uh, and then of course there was a student who was killed on campus because somebody accused many years ago a student was killed on a local pakistani campus because somebody accused him of blasphemy and within minutes a mob materialized and they killed him this kind of stuff happens in pakistan and so you read about it and so you know i i keep my ears open i keep my eyes open and then i just do a lot of sort of writing and rewriting and somewhere along the line a voice emerges and then i know that i have you know i've like ye 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 pakad liya maine iski awaaz ko so that's that's the process like it it's just very mysterious um but the but it is couched in in keeping an eye on sort of what's going on in the country yeah i mean you know it's so scary because moral policing is something that is happening everywhere you know in india as well and it's just sort of it's very scary the direction that it's going in but i want to know you know your book has been published all over the world in the us by knoff in uk um and in india by bloomsbury and you've also spoken about how the same stories could be perceived differently in different places so i want to know how has the reaction been in different places and also since you know we're talking about uh, talking about what's happening in pakistan in pakistan as well somebody from either the hindustan times or the hindu wrote the following about my book he said neera sethi's stories are so local that they will only be understood or appreciated by either someone who has visited pakistan or someone who intimately understands it or lives there and then he went on to say that instead of making them strange these stories are delightful and refreshing or something like that i'm paraphrasing now and because i was when i read the first two lines i was like oh god like he's he's also going to say that this book is like just conversing with itself but i was very glad that he he sort of saw what i was trying to do is a it's very tricky right because you are i'm a pakistani author but i'm being published by knoff so they want me to be read by an american readership now will an american readership understand all the urdu words that i'm using no will they understand some of the humor and say the title story are you enjoying which is so local and is sort of insidey jokey likely not but it was the book i had to write right this is it was this is sort of my authentic truth and i didn't go to an mfa which i really want to say i think was a really good thing and i think i was aware at some point that some of this is just not going to resonate with an american audience because in america you either have to update their notion of who they are in order to engage with them or write about a subject that they are interested in so for a pakistani that might mean you know like global terrorism or islam or sort of broadly speaking maybe women's rights in some context that speaks to the us my book doesn't really do that it doesn't converse with the us it is a very local book and so i think the reaction in the us some south asian reviewers really liked it a couple of women a couple of sort of just women in the us um i don't know know their ethnicities but they they really engaged with it sort of vogue and refinery 29 mostly sort of young women um in britain i don't really know sort of how it was engaged with i haven't really followed that all that closely but in india and pakistan i have been deeply deeply um i'm very uh, sort of happy with the way that the book has been perceived and uh, i'm very happy with the way the book has been received because you know they've people have said to me that i haven't pandered and that it's very just very local and authentic and i think for a debut i think for a debut so much you're working out so much of your own trauma you're working out so much of your own sort of uh, subconscious 
you're working out so much of the stuff that you have been preoccupied with for all your life, but you don't even necessarily know. So only after I finished writing this book and somebody said to me, your book is about strong women. And I was like, oh, is it? And she was like, oh yeah, your book is about everybody's like a baller in your book. And I was like, great. I didn't set out to necessarily do that, but good to know. And my aunt, Moni Mosin, who writes The Diary of a Social Butterfly, she said to me, she said, you know what? When I first read your book, I thought it was about young people and social media. Then I read it again. And actually your book is about power. And I thought to myself, oh, that makes a lot of sense. But did I necessarily go in writing about, wanting to write about power? No, because that is not how my process as a writer works. Female, strong female characters, that is something that really stood out in your book. Um, and that's something that I resonated with a lot. That's something that attracted me. You've also mentioned, I want to speak about your journey as a debut author. Um, you know, the book has done spectacularly well um, and congratulations, but it's often hard for debut writers to find the support that they need. And you mentioned, you know, people like Sonny Mehta and your acknowledgements. So I was wondering, you know, what was your relationship like with him and how can debut writers find the right mentors to guide them? Thank you for asking that question. Um, Sunny Mehta, I met once and then tragically he passed away four years later before my book came out. Um, he, you know, my agent had sent my manuscript to Knopf and Sunny had always encouraged South Asian voices there. And so I sort of, you know, had my hair blow dried and I wore sort of nice, a nice top and I was very nervous. And um, my agent said to me, she called me and she said, uh, Sunny Mehta wants to meet you. You, you, just, you just have to take this meeting. And I was like, oh my God. And I was actually in New York at the time because my agent had sent my book out to various people. And so I had gone to New York because it, you know, she had said it would be great if you're actually here. And lo and behold, Sunny Mehta wanted to meet me. So I was very nervous, um, but I thought to myself, you know, it's just funny, like it's okay. And so I walked in and um, he, he was just flipping through the book and I sat across from him and I probably said some very stupid sort of fillers like, oh, you have so many beautiful books here. I mean, something very sort of banal like that. Um, and then, you know, he called and he said, hmm, and he was sort of smoking a cigarette and he um, was sort of flip, just flicking through the pages of the book. And he said, hmm, in, this is interesting. And then he called in Robin Desser, who was a, at the time a senior editor at Knopf. And Robin Desser had, has also edited Chimamanda and Ghazi Adichie. She was Jhumpa Lahiri's editor as well. And then Robin became my editor. Robin also... So Robin walked in and I talked to her and then Robin called me that day on my cell phone and said, I'd love to edit you. And that was it. That was sort of then the deal went through. And it was such an ecstatic time. I mean, I was like, oh, my God, this woman is, you know, she edits Chimamanda and now she's going to be editing me. Um, and then Robin did edit me for three years and then she actually left Knopf. So in the last year I had to, I had a new editor, um, but I felt incredibly lucky. And I, you know, if it hadn't been for Sunny Mehta, I don't know if I would have been published by Knopf. Um, I just, I'm very grateful to him. And I think that, you know, when we say representation matters, it's moments like these that, that you know, I'm sort of an immigrant from India saw some sort of talent in a young girl, woman from Pakistan and said, let's sort of give her a chance. And, and there we have it. Oh, wow, that is, uh, that's really, really interesting to see how, you know, things come together. I think there, there is a saying by Paulo Coelho, um, uh, you know, that if, if you really... Uh, believe in something or if you really want something to happen uh, the universe conspires uh, and, and it just happens so I think that that's what happened with you um, but it also makes me think about you know what kind of infrastructure do writers get in Pakistan so I did 
um, read that there is a young writers workshop um, in Pakistan that hones uh, writer skills. So can you tell us a little bit more about what opportunities are present for writers in Pakistan? So there are, as you mentioned, there are some workshops. There are also some very prominent prizes. So the Zenith Harun Prize is one. The Salam Award is another. And then they showcase sort of top talent because they know hundreds and hundreds submit stories and ekhi jitiye. Um, and it's you know it's not nearly as solid and as developed as India's publishing scene. In fact, we have very few local publishers, if any at all. I think there are like two or three, just a handful that do English. Urdu mein hai. Um, there are sort of there are sort of mainstream publishing houses that publish books in Urdu, but we don't have a kind of huge English speaking middle class the way that India does. Although we're getting there, um, so I'd say that you know it's tough if you're sort of writing in the dark on your own and you don't have a community, um, you know, or, or you don't have even a professor who's teaching you creative writing. It's really really hard. Having said that, if you end up at LUMS, which is the Lahore University of Management Sciences, they actually teach creative writing there. And Bilal Tanveer, who wrote The Scatter Here is Too Great, is a professor there. And he mentors a lot of young um, students. He recently, there was there's this um, person called Hurmat Kazmi, whose story was published in The New Yorker. And Hurmat submitted their story to, um, you know, a pile like a like to just the Lums writing workshop and Bilal read Hurmat's work there for the first time. And now, you know, you have, you have people like established writers like Mohsin Hamid and Daniel Moinuddin who are published in the New Yorker. And then the new generation is, is uh, people like Hurmat's, like I haven't been published, but Hurmat who was a local sort of writer um, submitted a story to, to, you know, his creative writing workshop in Lahore. And now I think Hurmat, they teach at Iowa or something. So there are amazing stories like that. Um, but on the whole, there is no great infrastructure that exists to nurture right, English writing in Pakistan. And that is kind of uh, also interesting because the amount of, you know, internationally acclaimed Pakistani authors that are there, some of the best writers writing today are from Pakistan, writing about Pakistan. And certainly some of my favorite authors like Mohsin Amin, as you mentioned, or Daniel Moinuddin. So that's like, that's a very interesting juxtaposition. Um, but I also want to know, you know, because in your book, every story has a very intriguing title. I loved the titles, like Mini Apple, which we spoke about, and Tomboy. And I really like the title of your book, which is Are You Enjoying? Because it was so sort of like Indian Pakistani, you know, that phrase. So why did you think this particular title was the most apt for, the, for your book? And what's your process of coming up with titles for your stories? I think Are You Enjoying, as you pointed out, is a South Asian colloquialism. And because there is so much um, local South Asian humor embedded in the book, um, I thought that the title should reflect that, right? Like, are you enjoying what? Like, what does that even mean for a non-South Asian person? Uh, and so that's why I chose Are You Enjoying, because it's both speaks to the flavor of the book and is also kind of, um, you know, it's, it's unusual. Vis-a-vis um, -vis Mini Apple, Tomboy, Breezy Blessings, A Life of Its Own, A Man for His Time. Um, initially, I thought I'm going to pick a phrase from every story, um, but that didn't work for all the stories. By and large, most of them are uh, from the stories. So for example, Asha says in Tomboy, you know, uh, I think uh, like a character says to Asha, such a tomboy you used to be. Look at you now, all grown up, eh? something like that. And so Tomboy comes from there and it's actually about 
that whole that predicament of being a so-called tomboy. Uh, Minneapolis is an inside joke. Again, just like Are You Enjoying is an inside joke. Uh, Breezy Blessings is the name of the apartment complex in where Mehek, the actress, works. A Man for His Time is unusual because the phrase doesn't appear in the story, but I wanted something to capture sort of the spirit of, um, sort of capture Hafiz's interiority because he thinks that he is sort of a man for his time, a man of his time, but actually he's having a, this crisis of masculinity. And uh, a life of its own also um, is is it's a little bit a little bit of a play on a room of one's own, but only a little. But also because ZD says uh, picking up a piece of cotton, she says to her British visitors, she says, "Oh, but you have to smell it. It has a life of its own." And John Willoughby, who bends bends down to sniff it, says, mm, "Fascinating." Something like that. <laughs> um, and so that they all come from the stories. <laughs> I, I really liked um, that voice modulation. It actually, you know, took me back uh, to my childhood days. Like I used to watch a lot of these Disney um, cartoons and I always used to wonder how does one um, character's voice differ so much from the other? And only when I grew up, I realized that they were, you know, voiceover artists um, and, and they were by completely different people. But here seeing one person actually um, enacting so many people's voices is just, um, I think, mind blowing. I read the audiobook for Are You Enjoying? And I had so much fun, Michelle, I can't tell you, because I went to a studio in San Francisco and I had two days to do it. And, you know, initially I was, I didn't know what ZB sounded like. I didn't know what Usher sounded like. And then when I started trying out voices, again, as with my writing process, it's only after a little bit of trial and error that I came upon these voices. And then I was like, ah, that sounds like Sayyida Zarina Bukhari. <laughs> and then I just went with it. Yeah, because actually most most audiobooks, they, they're very flat, you know, at least the ones that I've heard. So this one would definitely be <laughs> more engaging than the others. That's that's so cool. I didn't know that that you did that. And I can totally visualize it now. I also uh, read in an interview that you mentioned that you're kind of a control freak. And <laughs> that's. <laughs> and that through writing uh, that though your writing is creative it's actually kind of controlled so in regards to that you know I want to know more about the kind of editorial intervention that happened with your book because you know I work with a lot of writers as an editor and a lot of times you know writers have to kill their darlings or they have to let go a bit when they're looking for feedback so what was your relationship like in this process? You are very sneaky, but I appreciate it. <laughs> um, I think I initially, so with Robin Desser, who was my first editor, I think, you know, she knows her market. She is a terrific editor. She edited Cheryl's Trades, Wild, which went on to be a bestseller. She's edited a number of bestselling books. I think initially Robin wanted me to sort of clarify a lot of sort of the humor maybe or just some a lot of sort of inside jokes that I was peppering my text with and in, I did because if you read the early early drafts it's just very you know you sort of just vomit it all out and I think that's very healthy because you shouldn't be self-conscious when you start writing because then you know I'm so I'm not I mean there must be people who are but I just sort of I put it all out there and then I chisel away at it and so I did I took a lot of her advice on board she would say things like unclear she would often say to me she said you know the mark of a good writer is if you are intending to be funny, the reader should know that you are intending to be funny. And if you are intending to be dead serious, if the reader is reading that as comical somehow, then the fault is with the writer. And I thought that was brilliant because I think a lot of the sort of ways in which I was flailing and failing early on 
was that I would write something and I would think, oh, this is hilarious. And Robin would sort of write a kind of question mark with a pencil in the margins and be like, unclear what this means. Are you, is this funny or is this serious? Unclear. And then I realized that, you know, if this is true, this is going to be published in the US, I need context. Without being sort of on the nose, I need some context to, to, to situate the reader in these situations. And then I started doing that. So I'd say with my control freakishness, I was very happy to be guided into, uh, you know, these new methods early on. Yeah, later on, I think a year before the book was published, when I was sort of doing um, line edits, I think that's when I, when I became a little more, um, shall we say, protective of my text, because then I thought this is funny, this lands, this has a beginning, a middle and an end. And then even then when my new editor, because Robin had left Knopf, was suggesting changes, I would, I adore my new editor, Diana Miller. But then I think because it's sort of of a piece, you're, you're, you're very reluctant to sort of change things around. It's like having a beautiful dress that you're wearing. And if somebody says, yeah, button utar do, you're like, nahi, button lag <laughs> um, so that's sort of, that was the process. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll never forget that button um, analogy now. Um, so uh, Mira, you've spoken to lots of interesting personalities, right? In the course of uh, promoting your book. And I noticed that you've spoken to Malala Yousafzai, which is, um, you know, an honor. So I'm curious to know what kind of effect do these post-publication interactions have on you, you know, as a writer? Because um, of course, when you're into writing, you're just into writing. But when it's post-publication, you're interacting with so many people and that too from different fields. So, I mean, apart from the obvious, you know, increase in visibility for your book, how has it helped you as a creative person? Again, it's a really terrific question. Um, I What's been really interesting for me is to see the different ways in which people have engaged with the book. Um, I sort of mentioned this earlier with my aunt saying, first, I thought your book was about X, then I realized it was actually about Y. And every single person I've spoken to has had their own take on my book, especially the, the, the sort of moderators and my conversation partners who have read the stuff and have been thoughtful about it. And so when I spoke to Malala, she had a lot of questions about craft. She had a lot of questions about how I, as a woman, navigate, um, you know, she said, you know, there, there are risks to writing the kind of stuff you wrote about. You've written about sexuality, you've written about um, you know, class. And so are you, and you've written about, you've written romantic scenes that are a little sort of bold, as we like to say in Pakistan. And she said, so are you worried? Because you're, you're, you know, you live there, you're an actor who appears on mainstream television. And so I was like, you're absolutely right. Like I'm always now, I'm, wor- I'm thinking all the time, like if I tweet this, am I going to be on the radar of the security establishment? If I come out very strongly on women's rights, are they going to say, you know, ye to hai pagal, uh, ye to alienate career sabko. So in fact, in Tomboy, she says, you can't talk about culture in inverted commas, because if you do, then they kill you. Um, So it's been fascinating talking to different people, because everybody's brought their own very interesting baggage to the engagement with the book. I really enjoyed it. What a ride it must must be to speak to all of these people and hear their perspectives. That's just so fascinating. I want to move us now to our reading section. And I'm very excited to hear from you, your reading recommendations. So first off, what are your top three favorite South Asian books? So my favorite South Asian novel is God of Small Things. <laughs> um, I mean, I it's so many people's favorite book. So it feels a little bit like a cliche saying that it is, but it really moved me when I read it at 16 and at 19 and at 21. And most recently in my 30s again, uh, I think it is an extraordinary book. So that is at number one. 
I was also really moved by Interpreter of Maladies when I first read it in college. I think it is Jhumpa Lahiri's best work. I think it comes from a very real place. I was extraordinarily impressed with how, with her discipline, with how disciplined the stories were and how they were moving without being maudlin. Um, she's a very delicate writer and it's very hard to extract great emotional payoff when you are being delicate and yet she manages that again and again. And my, the third book I would mention is um, In Other Rooms, Other Wonders. And actually, you know what? I do want to mention another book, which is by a South Asian writer, but he now lives in the US, Family Life by Akhil Sharma. Um, Akhil is now American for all intents and purposes, but his parents did migrate from India, I believe in the 70s. And Family Life is about, you know, one sibling falling sick and the fallout of that illness on, on, a, on a newly transplanted immigrant family in New York. I think it's a brilliant book. So these four. And, and I think Daniel Moinuddin's collection, to say a little bit about it, In Other Rooms, Other Wonders, I think at the level of the sentence, it is one of the most beautiful books I have ever read, like South Asia, in South Asia and out, like in the context of world literature. I think he's a very, very, he's a very um, talented stylist and uh, it's a very evocative book. I'm smiling so hard right now because Akhil Sharma and Daniel Mohindanin are like gods to me. I just was mind blown when I read their books. I haven't come across anything like that. And speaking about God of Small Things, it's very interesting that Michelle and I actually, you know, it, it's just a coincidence, but both of us tried to read it when we were around 13 or 14 and didn't understand a word. But then last year, we both picked it up and we decided to buddy read. I remember speaking to my dad after I finished it and it's one of his favorite books and he said that he was just weeping throughout uh, yeah. the book so yeah these are some fantastic recommendations yeah thank you for that Mira. also um, you know I'm curious uh, to know what came before these books because you've also said that you know you've grown up um, amidst people who read so what were the books you used to read as a child so though I grew up around parents who read I didn't read as a child I only started reading around the age of 14. I remember my father said to me when I was about nine, he said, I'm going to give you, and at that time, this was a lot of money. It's still quite a lot of money, but in the 90s, oh my God, Michelle and Tara, this was a lot of money, right? Like he said, I will give you 500 rupees if you read a book. And I tried, but I was kind of distracted. I was a very outdoorsy kid. I was on my bike all the time, scraping my knee, playing with like friends, playing with the house helps friend, uh, kids, um, you know, just rattling off in Punjabi all the time, just very outdoorsy. So I didn't actually read, even though my father had offered this terrific bribe to me. It was only when I was 14, 15, that I actually weirdly, embarrassingly, started reading Enid Blyton in my teens. And I remember thinking like, but I think it was a very good way to get into reading because it was light. And I read a couple of Enid Blyton's and then I you know, then when I was in my O-levels, my GCSEs, I started reading, reading. I don't think there's any age limit for Enid Blyton. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, uh, Meera, you know, I want to now go to the rapid fire round. So it'll be rapid and I'll begin. One thing you discovered about yourself in the pandemic that you didn't know before. That I am not as big of an extrovert as I like to think I am. Oh, I think that's a realization that I had to. Um, okay, the next one. The biggest difference between US and Pakistan? America has had sustained democracy for decades and we haven't. 
what's next for you i'm supposed to write a novel but i don't know about um, but i don't know what it's really going to be about my sense is it'll involve a woman who's navigating some kind of something um, but i i don't I haven't started writing it yet okay meera the actress or meera the writer ah uh, this is the world's most difficult question <laughs> i don't have an answer for you because they're they're, they're both so um you know it's like asking who my favorite child is i don't even have children but <laughs> yeah so where do you write i write in bed in my pajamas with my laptop propped up on my knees wow okay i i want to ask you you know how does that affect your posture but then i think that will become a very <laughs> long conversation but uh, mera this was absolutely a delight um i learned so many things and especially because i'm really uh, fascinated with fiction i think i always want to know um how writers do it So thank you so much for sharing it with us. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Michelle and Tara. And honestly, you know, after a while, this becomes these interviews become repetitive. But I honestly, the questions you guys asked, I have I fielded them for the first time, and so it was really, really refreshing for me to actually engage with your questions because I had to think on the on the spot. So thank you. Thank oh, you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks. Gosh, that that really did feel like a masterclass in writing and acting, right? Like I now I kind of get how she effortlessly moves between all of these characters in her book. So you know, in this podcast, as our listeners know, we speak to so many amazing people who are doing these unique things, you know, beyond books as well. Um, and through our second podcast, the book people, and through our training and working with creative people. We've realized the power of oral and audio storytelling, and that's why we're creating many more podcasts. So we are looking for people to work with us to make their engaging podcast ideas into originals. So if you have a very exciting concept and you want to partner with us, we are now accepting pitches. So pitch your podcast idea to us, and let's see if we can together make it into something nice. So for more details, see the link in the show notes. Yeah, Tara, I can't wait to see these new ideas. And our next guest actually has a podcast coming up with us. It is none other than the horror writer Chandrima Das. I absolutely love her tales because they just send chill up your spine, right? Yeah. So if you haven't read her book Young Blood, you must pick up the stories because each story is set on a college campus in India and it's based on an urban legend. So it's really creative but also really spooky. <laughs> so yes. anyways follow us for creative content we are at bound india on all social media platforms thank you so much for tuning in and we'll be back next wednesday with chandrima das